Welcome to Thoughts on Thriving, a holistic lifestyle and wellness podcast that's here to help you become the healthiest, happiest, most aligned version of yourself. I'm your host, Ava, a registered dietitian in training and health and wellness junkie. I'm so excited to have you here as I dive deep into meaningful conversations covering topics from nutrition and mental health to spirituality and self-development and everything in between with experts in many fields. I'm so happy you're choosing to learn how to thrive today. Let's get into the show. Hi everyone, welcome back to Thoughts on Thriving. I am so excited to have you back for another episode today. We have a really good one today. I know I say that every time, but today our guest is Pallavi Yator. And Pallavi is a licensed professional clinical counselor and licensed mental health counselor who has a Master of Fine Arts in Creative Nonfiction with also a minor in screenwriting. She is incredible. She's a writer, a psychotherapist. She's had her writing featured in NBC News, the Los Angeles Review of Books, the Coachella Review, Salon, lots of really cool publications. And aside from her amazing writing, she practices as a psychotherapist and she takes a holistic approach to her patients. The way I found Paula V actually was through COA. So Paula V teaches emotional fitness classes in this platform called COA. And I actually want to talk about COA for a second with you all because they were so kind to give us a discount code for Thoughts on Thriving listeners. So COA basically is a gym for mental health. It's a new online therapist-led learning experience that's here to help you on your emotional fitness journey. And in this episode, Paula V and I talk about what emotional fitness is and why we have to work out our emotional fitness, kind of like our physical fitness. And COA is a great way to do that. It's a really cool online platform. There's live classes, on-demand classes. They're all led by therapists. And the classes are super interactive. And there's also these mental push-ups that they have, which are these interactive exercises in between the classes so that you're kind of working out your mental health as often as possible. There's lots of practical takeaways from the classes. There's actionable tools you can get for your mental health. And a great part about COA is that it gives you a community to kind of do the mental health work with so that you're not alone and you're connecting with a supportive community of people who also care about their emotional fitness and mental well-being. So if I didn't already convince you to at least check COA out, you will hear more about it in this episode. We talk about so many things in this episode, not just emotional fitness, obviously. But if you are interested, COA has given us a very generous discount code of 50% off of your first month of membership. And the code is THRIVING, all caps, T-H-R-I-V-I-N-G, THRIVING, for that first month half off. And the website is joincoa.com, joincoa, C-O-A.com, if you want to use that. So in this episode, of course, Paula V and I talk about emotional fitness, like I said, what it is, why it's important to maintain. We talk about the different traits of emotional fitness, including self-awareness, and Paula V gives a great tip to build self-awareness. We also talk about the effects of COVID on mental health and what it's like being a therapist during this time why we're so obsessed with productivity as a society. We talk about medications for mental health, confidence, setting boundaries, social anxiety, um, so many different things. Pallavi's take on the Sunday scaries, imposter syndrome, self-care, being from immigrant families. We really kind of cover so many different things. So there's something in here for everyone, and I think you all are really going to like this conversation, especially given the state of the world and how the state of the world has impacted our mental health recently. So give it a listen. Let me know what you think, and go try COA out if you're interested. I think this is such a great way to kind of maintain your emotional health and emotional fitness, and after this episode, I'm sure you're going to want to go try it out. So make sure to use our discount code THRIVING. Give this episode or this entire podcast a five-star review and rating. Please share it with a friend. Share it on your social media. Send it to someone you think could benefit from it. And if you have any requests for future guests or episodes, please let me know. Make sure to give us a follow on Instagram at thoughts.on.thriving. And we're also on TikTok at thoughtsonthriving. So make sure to follow us everywhere. Let me know what you think of this episode, and I hope you all enjoy. 
Hello, Paula V. Welcome to Thoughts on Thriving. I'm so excited to have you on today. Thank you so much for having me, Ava. I'm happy to be here. So I've already given a bit of your background info in the intro of this episode, but just from your perspective, could you kind of just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. I uh, am a therapist <laughs> and I had a, a quite a journey getting to this point. I studied writing in undergrad, moved to New York to try to do that. It was a bad time, it turns out, in 2008 <laughs> to try <laughs> to do anything in New York City. Um, so I really kind of had to dig deep and pivot and figure out what was going to be the next step for me. And therapy ended up being that thing. I worked in um, substance abuse counseling. Uh, I worked at a methadone maintenance clinic as I was getting my graduate degree. And I studied uh, at the American Institute of Psychoanalysis while I was getting my licensure hours. So I've done training in a lot of different areas and then started a private practice there and recently moved back to LA, my hometown, started up my private practice here, and then I found COA. So I've been really kind of dabbling in all the things. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. I'm from LA too, and now I'm in New York. So some How funny. There. Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. So, you know, was the journey to psychology and becoming a psychotherapist kind of, you always kind of knew you were interested in that or what made you decide to get into that when you were younger? I think I wanted, I was always interested in psychology and reading people, but I think what ultimately made me pivot, like in terms of how to use my skill set when I was struggling um, to think about my next career move was that the most important thing for me was wanting to be able to use my brain and my brain tends to be really analytical and I like to see patterns and connect dots and that's exactly what therapy work offers and so that's been what's the most exciting for me about this work is being able to see kind of the matrix of people's inner minds before they've seen it and be able to like kind of present it with them and work through it. Cool. And I bet now with COVID and everything and all the mental health issues that have stemmed from that, you're probably, your mind is probably <laughs> trying to analyze how this is affecting people. It is really weird. I mean, I think what people talk about with COVID just in general is how little we know, right? How little right. we know about the virus, how little we know about how it's going to affect your body, but also we don't know completely yet how it's going to affect our minds and our emotional health. We talk a lot about kids and their school lives. Mm -hmm. So it has just sort of been this weird experience of therapists and patients kind of going through the same process day by day as things unfold. And that puts us in a really interesting position because we're all kind of in the same boat with it. Totally. Which is, it's weird. Have you seen, like, are there specific things you've been seeing that you haven't been seeing much of before the pandemic that now is like pretty common in your patients or clients? I am seeing and personally feeling way more burnout just in general. Mm -hmm. I think there's just like a generally a pretty high level of exhaustion mm -hmm. because I think we've neglected how much of a toll this is taking for it to like constantly sort of be running in the background. And we are still expecting ourselves to do all the same stuff we were doing before. Yeah. But every time we do, we are worrying about eight different things now. And so I think we've we've gotten so used to being productive or operating at a certain pace or with a certain kind of you know progress meter. And we haven't necessarily given ourselves the break of like, well, this means a whole completely different thing that none of us have been through before. Totally. You mentioned, you know, wanting to be productive. I think as a society, we put so much of our worth into our productivity and how we're doing in work and our careers. Why do you think, you know, as a psychotherapist, what is our need? What is, what's, what's that about as a society to, to like be productive all the time? Why do we feel the need to put our worth into our work? Yeah. I mean, there's the frustrating answer, which is that that story looks different for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> the other frustrating answer is capitalism, <laughs> but I think True. that it's, you know, we each have our own relationship to work and productivity and what that means to us, right? We might've grown up with a lot of pressure or a lot of sense of here's what success needs to be for you in order for you to be valued in the world. 
Um, I come from an immigrant background and I know in a lot of cases like that, right? Productivity and success is sort of like, this is how you get your security. So that is certainly at play. I think also for a lot of people, especially people who might identify as like workaholics, we tend to use work as a way to get away from or around more difficult emotions that are harder to quantify internally. So it's really easy to quantify, oh, look at how productive I am. Mm -hmm. But it's harder to look at some of the things that are a little more nuanced or gray areas. Totally. As a child of immigrants, I am as well. My parents are from Iran and I I was actually born there as well, but um, moved here when I was very young. And there's certain things that I feel like people who aren't the children of immigrants don't understand. What are some of those things for you that you've experienced growing up and still as an adult that you think stem from that, you know, being from an immigrant family? Yeah, that's so that's, that comes up a lot that, and now that we're talking about it more, it's actually really nice that all of us from similar backgrounds can actually find this common commonality, because I think growing up, what I noticed the most was a sense of just not, feeling like I belonged, like Mm -hmm. there was something always that felt weird about me, or I wasn't in on the joke with everyone, right? It was quite literally sometimes a different language that we were speaking or just a different kind of consciousness. Mm -hmm. So there was this sense of like, there's something about me that's different. Sometimes I'm being targeted for that. And sometimes it just feels like I'm, I'm on the outs in terms of a mutual understanding with everybody else. And that can make it really hard to figure out what you need to do in order to feel seen or valued. It's probably again, why writing became a a respite or an area of expression for me, because, you know, if I wasn't feeling heard or seen, then I'm going to try to find these other ways to do that. Wow, totally. That's a good connection, kind of that your outlet for that was writing. And I feel like everyone kind of has a different outlet with writing. Did you, you know, take classes on that or did did that just kind of come naturally to you? I was really interested in stories and writing stories and had quite an imagination when I was a kid. There are a lot of things as you grow up that like tend to squash those those imaginations yeah. or those, you know, skills that you we have when we're kids, that playfulness. So I had to find it again in college. I um I did my undergrad degree in writing. And then more recently, after I was in private practice for a few years, I went back to get my MFA. Oh, wow. So cool. Yeah. I love I it. Like, and I it probably comes in handy as a therapist, you know, writing about the mind and how people work. It's that. And I think that exactly the therapy background has come really in handy with writing, too, because it's about, you know, being able to express the inner life of either a character or even if it's nonfiction, kind of what are the deeper layers of what's going on? Very cool. So you mentioned you're one of the therapists that teaches emotional fitness classes at COA, which is an online therapist-led platform that helps people on their emotional fitness journeys, which I love and I think is so needed in this time. So could you talk a little bit more about COA, what emotional fitness even means and why it's important to maintain just like our physical fitness? Yeah, absolutely. So that's why COA, we are your gym for mental health, because I think a lot of people tend to neglect that this is an ongoing process and it's a reality that doesn't ever really go away, just like with our physical fitness. You know, I think a lot of us feel like, oh, yeah, I did this one thing one time and we wish that that could just like be that. But it is this you know, something to engage with on a regular basis for our minds, just as we would with our bodies. So COA offers a lot of different ways to do that. We believe that the most important thing is to be rooted in community because working on ourselves alone or even just being in our emotions alone is what can make it really feel difficult and overwhelming. That's why therapy is so valuable because you don't have to be alone with your experiences. So with COA, we offer a way for us to be in community. So you're sharing with other people who have similar goals and you're in classes or a cohort in a series where you're starting to get to know other people in the COA community, which is actually really lovely. So we offer Q and A's where you'll just hear a therapist talk about a topic like imposter syndrome or boundary setting. And we also offer live uh, therapist led workshops on, you know, all of the emotional fitness traits, things like communication, mindfulness, resilience, 
And then we also offer emotional push-ups. So they're like little short 15 minute exercises that you can do to strengthen each one of those traits and to kind of flex a little emotional muscle. Oh, I love it. What are some of the emotional fitness traits, the traits of emotionally fit people? So we have seven that we teach at COA. And so it starts with self-awareness. I think all of mental health work has to start with self-awareness. We also talk about empathy, mindfulness, curiosity, and then we talk about playfulness, resilience, and communication. So those are the seven. Our co-founder, Dr. Emily Anhalt, kind of distilled these from research that she did. And that's what a lot of our class curriculum is based on. And just as a quick kind of more tangible thing for listeners to take away, what are some tools that we can use daily to become more emotionally fit people? Do you Mm -hmm. have like a little toolbox you like to give to clients or your, some of your favorite ones to use on a daily basis? Yeah, it depends on where everybody is. But if I'm saying that we want to start with self-awareness and knowing ourselves, basically knowledge is power and knowing ourselves can empower us to make better decisions and speak our minds and speak what we need and advocate for ourselves. So I love to have people take pauses when they're like in the heat of a feeling or if they're finding that they want to be reactive in a conversation with someone and really just try to even name what am I feeling right now because we skip over that step a lot (laughs) a lot of times we're just like the feeling is bubbling up so much it's so intense and I just need to act or maybe avoid it or do something that I've typically gotten used to doing to cope with this So I am always a big proponent of naming our feelings. It's just as simple as saying to ourselves, this is what I feel, or even writing it down. It can take a lot of the edge off of that emotion. That's probably one of my favorite tools. Yeah. And that's such an easy one to do. It is Mm -hmm. hard though, to have the awareness to remember to do that. So to pause, right. To slow yourself down. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It is hard, but it becomes a practice, you know, as we start to become more curious about, I wonder why I reacted that way, or I wonder why this feels so uncomfortable to me right now. Then we start doing our own work of recognizing what's going on for us. And I think that that's a tool that everyone can start doing literally today. Yeah, exactly. You know, the conversations they're having with their family members, their friends. Yeah. You want to kind of integrate right now. And it's similar to like, you know, when a lot of us feel anxious or scared or stressed out, we forget to breathe. Mm -hmm. right? We might find that we hold our breaths or we're breathing really shallow. So it's sort of a similar process where if we remind ourselves to breathe, we can also remind ourselves to pause and name a feeling. So it's being in tune with body and mind because they're connected. Totally. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit more about that? The mind body connection? Do you integrate that into your practice with your clients and everything? Yeah. A lot of times I will see emotional things playing themselves out physically because sometimes we can't touch them yet emotionally and Uh it's easier for us to keep it in the concrete and so you know it's not i'm not necessarily talking about like hypochondria or things just being in people's heads i'm saying that there is a connection right if we're feeling tension or chronic pain there is going to be some emotional component to that right our bodies are processing our emotions somehow people with you know, recent traumas will find things like hair loss or, you know, different kinds of physical symptoms like that. So it is something that we don't always want to connect, right? That our bodies and minds are connected, that we think that like, well, I have way more control over one thing or another. But the reality is we are all one system and that system works really kind of sensitively together. Yeah. And it's much easier to throw a pill at the physical thing and just make it go away, but yeah. we don't want to, you know, get tap into the deeper emotions behind it. Exactly. We can throw pills at the, the mental stuff too, without getting right. into what's behind it. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about that? What is your stance on, you know, mental health medications and um, yeah, just taking medications for anxiety, depression, things like that? I am always a proponent of doing the the self-awareness work, the talk therapy work in conjunction with any kind of medical treatment, because that is the stuff that's going to make the effects stick longer. Mm-hmm. 
right? The pill is going to really tamp down on some of the symptoms that make it difficult for people to function or that make it, you know, people who are having acute crises and things like that. The long-term growth and the long-term change happens when that, when that medication is in conjunction with the inner work because we want to still keep understanding ourselves rather than just kind of pinning our hopes on this thing to take care of it for us. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, otherwise we're, we're not really engaging in what is going on for us internally. And that is a disservice, I think, to what we could achieve if we did. I love that approach. So I wanna switch gears and talk a little bit about confidence. This podcast is all about thriving and becoming the best version of yourself, whether that's spiritually, emotionally, physically, mental health wise. And a big part of that, I think, is being confident in who you are. So my first question is, do you think that confident is inherent? Some people are just born with confidence, not confident. Um, do you think some people are just born with confidence and others aren't? Or do you think we all have you know, an equal opportunity to learn it and it's a learned trait? I think that we all come with like a different set of proclivities toward confidence, I guess. We were talking about like being from an immigrant background before, right? So we are coming from a place of, okay, I didn't always feel like I was allowed to be in this room. And that's gonna be from a young age, kind of a knock on our confidence. And based on what resources each of us case by case has available to us, some people might find that they thrive in that situation and they figure out, oh, because I was in that in that circumstance, I was able to learn how to project confidence. Other people mm-hmm. might feel really shut down or they might feel like it was harder for them to feel the safety they needed to gain confidence. So it is it's a muscle that can be strengthened. Like we can all build our confidence proactively, but some of us are going to come at it with maybe a little bit more ease than others, just based on what was thrown at us, what kind of support we had, what our resources were. Got it. And regardless of what the background is, where we've come from with confidence, how do you think we can cultivate more confidence especially now in this day and age where a lot of social media is happening. A lot of the stuff we're doing is online, especially. Mm -hmm. I know we actually have a whole Q and a about social media (laughs) and the comparison trap because it's really a big, a big part of people's lives. And we talk about in one of our uh, emotional pushups for resilience that we often tend to neglect all of the things that we've accomplished all the things that we're doing well, all of the wins, even if they're small wins. And we tend to just focus more on the, I haven't done enough of this yet, or I haven't accomplished that yet. And that is a great way to not build our confidence (laughs) because we are skewing our perspective toward a lack or a void in who we are. And we aren't holding tightly enough all the stuff that we've done, which has been a lot. Like I will Mm -hmm. guarantee you, whoever you are, you've done a lot, you've been through a lot, and you've accomplished a lot. We just forget that. So making a physical record of all of the things, whether it's a journal or a folder full of screenshots of, you know, accolades that you've gotten from people or heartwarming text messages. This is, we call it a win bin. Uh, Some people call it a self-esteem file. So that is a super easy way to just start rebalancing that perspective toward, okay, yes, maybe I'm disappointed that I haven't done this thing yet. And also I've done all this stuff so I can carry both of those realities together. I love that idea of having a little file in your computer of all the, you know, nice texts you've gotten because people, you kind of, you get things like that or you win awards or whatever you have accomplishments and you forget. And especially now, since we've been at home, it doesn't feel like we're doing anything. Yeah. And so much is still happening in our lives. It might just all be virtual. Maybe your wins are less um, accounted for because yeah. job is online or something. So that's a really good idea. I love that. Right. Sometimes we might have to be in charge of shouting ourselves out too in this True. remote world. And it's, it's harder to feel like we can hold on to things because so much feels like it's quick and it's virtual and it's, you know, you're on to the next thing in your scrolling feed. And so now you've mm-hmm. forgotten about what you were thinking about three seconds ago. And so it helps to hold on to the important stuff by documenting it somewhere. 
Totally. With social media, like we were talking about a little bit earlier, do you, I mean, like, what have you found in this new digital age um, that like children and teenagers, just anyone, even adults have had to go through that maybe, you know, people who are older haven't, how has that changed our development? Well, I think people are, who are older because it hasn't been such a part of their lives, maybe have an easier time setting boundaries with it or not mm. integrating it into their day as much as the rest of us. And so that's the challenge for us is to figure out what our boundaries need to be with social media, because a lot of times it sort of feels like this is a necessary thing, right? We, this is how we make ourselves. This is how we express our identities. This is how we create our brands or, or further our careers. And there can still be a line that you draw when you start noticing that that's having an impact on your emotional well-being, because then it's not going to be super useful anymore. <laughs> so I think, again, this goes back to self-awareness and self-knowledge, like being able to notice when it starts wearing on you, when it starts to feel damaging or toxic, that's when you kind of, all right, time to turn it off, time to give it a break. Totally. I delete my Instagram app like every other day when it reaches that point. I always um, like to, uh, when I notice that I'm compulsively gravitating over to my social media apps on my phone, I'll like throw them in a folder together and move them to the back of uh-huh. my phone screen, right? So they're in a new place. And so now it becomes a little more conscious that I'm reaching for it. And I have to ask myself, why am I going to social media? Is it because I'm bored? Is it because I need something? Is it because I want to connect? So being able to be a little bit more conscious before you tap on the app can also help you understand the why behind what you're doing. Yeah. And that's a great idea because it's just muscle memory. Sometimes you yeah. don't even want to go on it right. a lot of the times and you just go <laughs> and click on there. it. Yep. Yeah. So just even moving it to a different page on your, on your phone screen is such a great idea. I love yeah. that. Or hiding it in a folder with something else. Uh-huh. I'll do that sometimes. <laughs> that's great. With social settings and COVID and everything, I know social media has become a lot more prevalent, but we're starting to get back into things. People are starting to go out more. Things are more in person. Um, like personally, with I've done a lot of self-work in the last few years. I think COVID has given me space to do so. And I think a lot of people are in the same boat. Um, some people, like people who are privileged enough to be able to have that time and space and kind of work on themselves in this time. So I think in some ways I've become more confident and more sure of who I am, but in other ways, like socially, it's kind of funny because when you don't work that muscle, you kind of lose it a little bit. So I'm curious to see whether you've been seeing that in your clients, what's the kind of landscape of social socialization yeah, stage. I'm I am hearing that a lot with my clients, the sense that social anxiety for those in which for which it already existed, it's become a little bit more heightened mm-hmm. for others. It's given us more room to overthink. Also, you know, we can't deny the reality of like going out socially is no longer just as simple as going out socially anymore. We have to worry about are people vaccinated? Are people going to be masked? How what's the risk of this thing? And so that could be contributing to people's anxiety about social settings, too. So it's really worth thinking about you know, before you get into these social situations, understanding what the discomfort is about. So is it about the risk? Is it about the COVID safety? Or is it about how people are going to perceive you so that you can start to set yourself up with either reminding yourself of all of the social things that you've been through in the past, right, from your win bin, or giving yourself the opportunity to take just the first step without diving right in, right? What feels comfortable at first? Maybe I hang out with a few friends that I know and then I can start to branch out. As as you said, it's a muscle. And so we have to keep flexing it, but you know, you don't start by lifting a hundred pounds if you've never lifted before. Right. Yeah. And I think that it's just all about like easing back into it. I find that yeah. it's easier to do a few things that are social in a week instead of everything I used to do yes. before and just kind of easing back into it. Do you think that people, I don't know, personally, I've been experiencing this kind of rethinking of a lot of my relationships with COVID because, you know, you're not forced to see, not that we were forced to see people, but maybe a lot of people that you were surrounding yourself with, you kind of realize that it's not a match anymore. What have you Mm -hmm. been noticing with that? I think in general, people 
through COVID have been doing this kind of inner evaluation of what was and wasn't working like in the before times. Mm -hmm. And, and now we've, you know, we've faced an existential crisis that's kind of making us grapple with like, well, how do I want to be spending my time? So that's actually something kind of amazing that's come from COVID where people are rethinking their jobs, people are rethinking their marriages or their relationships, people are rethinking, you know, I used to go out and hang out with this friend every night. And I just realized I don't actually look forward to doing that. <laughs> so we're, I think, really looking to value our time better, which is great, because I think we're recognizing how much we used to just sort of throw things at ourselves expectation wise, have to sit through things that weren't working for us. You know, there are certain things that maybe we have to continue doing that are uncomfortable, and we can get a lot of growth and build strength by doing that. And there are other things that we can really look at and say, is this serving me or not? And make a decision about a boundary there. So you mentioned boundaries a few times now. So I really want to dive into this conversation because I think it's the hardest part about being a person is setting boundaries and knowing (laughs) when to, knowing how to. So let's just dive into boundaries. How can we set boundaries, you know, in our relationships with other people? I think that's the hardest for me personally. And Mm -hmm. a lot of other people is knowing how to do that in relationships, especially like family and things, people who are close to you that you kind of have to have in your life. Mm -hmm. How do you kind of go about setting a boundary? You can't just say, okay, I'm setting a boundary. This is my boundary. We're going to follow it now. Well, I mean, you can. True. (laughs) You can do that. I'm going to throw a question back at you (laughs) as as a total therapist would. (laughs) What do you think does feel hard about setting a boundary with people in your life? I think it's more of the way that I think I'm being perceived by the other person. So it's not as much about setting the boundary as it is the anxiety around what the person is going to react or how, sorry, how the person is going to react. Yeah. Well, that's a really important insight. And that's what I hear from most people in terms of being afraid of boundary setting is that we tend to not look very kindly on being assertive because it entails being a little aggressive and people look down on that or people don't look at that favorably. But knowing that that's your concern then makes it easy for you to empower yourself to speak to that when you are setting the boundary. So if you're saying, you know, I'm worried that this person is going to think I'm not as amenable to things anymore. I'm I'm worried that this person is going to think that I'm not as easygoing or whatever the worry is. You can speak to that and say, you know, our relationship is really important to me. There's this one thing that I've noticed that actually really bothers me and is difficult for me. I want to, you know, whatever the boundary is, if it's like a relative, for instance, like, hey, I noticed that sometimes you make comments about my appearance and I totally understand where that might be coming from, but I love and respect you so much. I don't want to feel uncomfortable around you. And that makes me feel uncomfortable, right? So that you can speak to how important this relationship is, what you're trying to preserve by setting this boundary, because I think a lot of people see boundaries as like, this is punitive or this is meant to alienate someone, Mm -hmm. but really you're trying to build a relationship and build safety in the relationship so that it can deepen. And so that that's the type of thing that you can do in boundary setting where it doesn't feel like an ultimatum. It feels like work with me here. (laughs) I like, I want this for both of us. And then, you know, to your point about perception, there are going to be people who aren't going to like your boundary. And, you know, what they say, like when someone shows you who who they are, you have to listen. So that going back to your question of like who's serving us and not, if there is someone in your life who's consistently disrespecting boundaries or unable to tolerate that, might not be a person who is going to be healthy in your life. Totally. And that goes back to all the evaluation that people have been doing of all the people in their lives. That's a great way to kind of tell who's kind of meant to be there and who isn't. Exactly. What about boundaries in the workplace, especially now that we're going back in person and now that boundaries are so blurred between Mm -hmm. work and home? What have you been seeing with that? What do you think about the whole workplace boundary conversation. Yeah, that is something I was seeing a lot in terms of that burnout um, that I was, especially in like 2020, when we all went remote and our home lives were bleeding so much into work, people found that they were just kind of working through all seven days and not setting the boundary. So I think part of boundary setting is also 
the agreement you're making with yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So that if you start noticing that something is unsustainable, you can name for yourself, like, I can't work past this time anymore, or I cannot let my work bleed into my weekends, because here's the impact. I'm getting burnt out. I don't have time for my family. I don't have time to take care of myself. So naming the impact is always really profound. It can help with buy-in. So if you're actually having to have a conversation with someone at work, you know, around, I heard this a lot around um, companies switching to hybrid. Mm -hmm. So after we'd been remote for like two years, companies are like, all right, now you have to come back to the office for three days. There might be some some compromise room there, there might not be, but boundary setting is about inviting in that conversation and just saying like, hey, here's the impact that some of this is having, here's what I'm noticing, the toll it's taking on my work, what is a way that we might be able to find a solution? There might not be one, you might not like the answer, but that's what it feels like to speak up for yourself rather than sit in resentment of like, oh, I hate this, I hate this, right? Totally. and you were saying like the boundaries between work and home have become so blurred that it's kind of hard to even set that boundary for yourself of like when to finish work. Yeah. I saw you wrote an article actually about the Sunday scaries and how that's gotten much worse with COVID. Could you yep. talk a little bit about that and why you think that is? I, from my personal experience, I don't know how you feel and how your listeners are going to feel, but I just feel like weekends have become non-existent. Like they just yeah. don't feel like they're long enough anymore. And I was really trying to think about why is that? Like, what is going on with that? And I think it's because, especially during COVID, we didn't have enough to kind of demarcate our weekend from the rest of our week. We're probably still in the same setting, right? We're probably still in the same house where we've worked all week. We are probably not planning like a trip or travel because mm -hmm. that's been harder to do these days. We're probably not going out and doing social things or things that used to recharge us as much because that routine has slipped and it's been harder to do that. And so all of that kind of combines into like my time feels so monotonous and same that we're not getting an actual respite or reprieve from our day to day. So that I think was going on a lot. Now that you know people are traveling a lot this summer, that might start mm -hmm. to shift for folks, but it is really about understanding like, I need to make a clear line. Like maybe I only work in a certain room. Maybe I only work in a certain space and that is my designated workspace. Anything outside of that is leisure space or self-care space or cooking space. So I know that we like to have changes of scenery, but that's another place where we can be really mindful of boundary setting so that we're not kind of, you know, I don't want to say the S word, but <laughs> where we eat, like literally. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting because I I graduated from college in during, like, during COVID in 2021, and I'm sure so did a lot of the listeners here. That, um, most people are around this age, but I actually have a pretty wide age range. So it's just interesting to hear that perspective because we didn't really know what weekends were like before because we were in school. So it yeah. wasn't like the workforce and like, cause you know, in school you can, you kind of have weekends all the time, but you also kind of never have a weekend because right. you're, always you're always working on some working. assignment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. Exactly. And I'm in grad school now, so I still kind of never have a weekend. So I'm interested to see if that holds true and what the change will be like once I kind of enter the workforce. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think also speaking to the Sunday scaries, all of those people who are reevaluating their work lives are also recognizing like, wait, why do I dread my job right now? Mm. Is it just because I haven't gotten enough rest time and I need to carve out more of that? Or is there something here that I haven't allowed myself to look at for a while and that I maybe really need to consider? Because the Sunday scaries used to sort of refer to like, you know, when you kind of overindulge on Saturday and then Sunday mm -hmm. is basically like recovery hangover day. And then yeah. by the end of the day, you're like, well, I didn't do anything and I feel crappy. <laughs> but now it could really take on a lot more meaning if we really look at like, what is this feeling again, right? Naming that feeling for ourselves. Totally. Speaking of the workplace, like I said, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast probably graduated college recently. Most people are like in their mid to early or early to mid twenties. And a lot of people I've been hearing this conversation when they enter the workforce or have recently entered the workforce 
have this feeling of imposter syndrome. And you mentioned that earlier. That was one of the topics you guys talk about at COA. What does imposter syndrome even kind of mean to you? Why do people get it? And what can we do to fix it? Yeah, it is sort of this this misalignment of what we think is expected of us and what expect expectations we think we can meet. Mm. And that, again, is where something like recognizing your own achievements and and wins can be really useful because, you know, this goes back to what we were talking about with immigrant mentality, where we feel like we're not supposed to be here, right? We were imposters in this room. We are yeah. pretending that we belong here and we don't actually. And I, I hear that a lot with people in workplaces where they get this job and it feels beyond them for whatever reason, or it's it feels like a huge win and then they convince themselves they don't deserve the win. And so can we convince ourselves the other way? Can we convince ourselves we do deserve the win? And can we also allow ourselves to need help sometimes? I think that goes back to your productivity question, right? Where we expect like, we're just gonna get things done. We are gonna be super productive. We're not gonna have to like call on anyone to help us through this. And that's just not gonna be realistic all the time, especially when you're in a new job, in a new role, in a new company. Maybe you are gonna need some support to get the lay of the land and get your footing and learn the new things. And I think some of us tend to feel shame about that that maybe we feel like we shouldn't ask for help or we can't let on that we don't know what we're doing, but then we're never gonna learn the thing that we need to learn. So this is also about permission giving, like permission not to know everything and permission mm -hmm. not to be perfect and that there are probably resources available to you to get what you need to feel more confident at work. Totally, I think that's so important because we're not, I mean, I think we think we're expected to know everything, but if you just ask for help, it's usually given to you. We just yes, totally. need to get rid of our ego around it. So yeah. that's a really great kind of tip or just kind of reminder for people listening. I want to talk about self-care to kind of end this conversation because I think that that has become kind of a buzzword recently, especially uh -huh. with COVID, but in general. And I want to talk about from your perspective as a therapist, what self-care really means to you. And I know it's not going to be the facials and the spa yeah. <laughs> and the nail salon, whatever people kind of view self-care as maybe in the more generic sense. Yeah. What do you think self-care really means and what are your favorite ways to practice self-care in this time and just in general? I love that question because you're so right. It does feel buzzy. Mm -hmm. It's not super clear what it's supposed to refer to. If we're talking about capitalism, it's become a way for, for us to get sold more stuff, totally. <laughs> but we don't need any stuff for self-care. Um, it depends on what you feel you need to care for yourself through. So uh, I talk a lot about grief with my patients and mm -hmm. people who have lost, especially during COVID, there's been so much loss. So, you know, if, if grief is something that's part of your day to day, it might mean that you need a whole lot of empathetic support, right? You need to maybe not be alone with it, or maybe you need alone time, but to know that you don't have to sit with those feelings on your own and you know that you've got a therapist or you know that you've got a support system something that makes you feel nurtured through a difficult experience. And so if it's burnout, self-care for burnout is taking breaks. And we used to take vacations and breaks and all that, but I've been realizing during the whole pandemic, we're needing way more rest time than we used to before, right? You come back from, from a break and you might not feel like you really got a break at all. And so what does that mean? And what would have felt more recharging to you? Did you overcommit during your break? So I, that's why my favorite self-care tactic is boundary setting. <laughs> People don't always think of boundary setting as self-care, but I think it's the most profound way to care for yourself is to protect your resources, your time, your emotional well-being by setting limits by knowing what those limits are and by sticking to that agreement that you make with yourself. Um, certainly if your body is hurting and you need to take a soak in a tub, like sure, like that's great <laughs> self-care for, for that need. But this idea that it, you know, that it's a spa day, I think that anything that is going to be truly therapeutic is about looking inward rather than tuning out. So if it's something that numbs you or takes you out of 
something that maybe you really need to tune into, then it's not going to be very caring of your emotional growth. Totally. It's just not as easy to be setting boundaries as self-care than like totally doing the whole face mask thing. So and and part of this, you know, this is also rest. This is a balance, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. we have to do the hard work to care for ourselves and then we have to rest from having done all of that hard work. So yeah, sometimes it is I am not going to engage with any social commitments for a while because I need to build up my reserves again. So whatever it takes for you to refill your well so that you can yeah. keep drawing from it in your day to day. Yeah. And I love what you said about protecting your energy and protecting your time because mm -hmm. people are so intentional with how they spend their money, for example. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, when it comes to their time, they kind of overcommit. Like you said, they yeah. do all these things they don't really want to do, but because they feel like they should. I mean, yes. I've been, I've done that before and it ends up working against you in the end because you're the one who gets burnt out and you're the one who has to clean that mess up afterwards. Yes, exactly. And I love that you named this word should because yeah. this is something that I work with all the time in sessions with people is, mm -hmm. you know, this goes back to your question about confidence. This is back to self-care, all of our self-expectations and productivity expectations. This is all shoulds. And so a great way for us to kind of do temperature checks on if we really want something or we're just shooting ourselves is, is that word popping into our heads, right? I should just do this. I should just go to the thing. Anytime there's a should, we can ask ourselves why. Why should? According to who? Why is this important to me? Because that's going to be much more fulfilling when we're actively making decisions based on what's best for us rather than what some exterior entity or person or force is making us feel like we should be doing a hundred percent on this journey of like self-development that i've been on the second i stopped shutting myself sounds like another word yes. <laughs> but <laughs> no seriously though when I, the second i stopped doing that i became so much more light and free it mm -hmm. felt like. so yeah I that, feel that. Shouldn't, should not be taken lightly yeah absolutely I love that you've experienced that. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard, but it's definitely worth it in the end for your own mental sanity. And I think that's more important than ever now. So, yeah. And you probably know that it's like an ongoing daily thing, yes. right? You just have to be paying attention to that all the time. It's all a practice. It definitely still comes up. I definitely have yeah. that should voice in my head all the time, but it's just the amount of time that you listen to it and like the times that you actually can be aware of it. And like you yeah. said, awareness is key with all of this. Yep. Absolutely. Amazing. Well, do you have some time for the five rapid fire questions I ask all my guests? Yes. I would love that. I don't okay. know what they are. <laughs> I, you will find out right now. Okay. Um, the first one is what is your favorite fruit? Pineapple. Yeah. <laughs> what is your sun sign, your astrology sign? Leo. Me too. When were you born? Yay! August 1st. Oh my gosh. I was August. I was. I, <laughs> I, well, I was. I was born on August 16th. Oh my God. Yay. August babies. I know. Our birthdays are coming up. Yes, they are. Um, what is one book that changed your life that you would recommend to everyone? Um, Trevor Noah's memoir, Born a Crime. Ooh. I, I would also recommend people do that on audio because he's so amazing with the voice uh talent oh does he read it himself he reads it himself yeah it's amazing i love when authors read their own books mm -hmm. i don't like it when it's like a random person someone else it. yeah because <laughs> <laughs> i love audiobooks yeah same awesome what is one habit or ritual that you do every day that is a non-negotiable for you taking my time in the morning for whatever that needs to be sometimes it's reading the news sometimes it's just allowing myself to go slow so i don't feel hectic I love it. What are your just this is not one of the rapid fire questions, but it just came up. <laughs> okay. What do you think about the news and like anxiety? Because I find that when I watch the news, listen to the news, it like creates more stress in my life. Yeah, it's the same with social media, right? It serves a function it, or it might serve a function up until a point. And then at that point, it might start to be more damaging than helpful. And so it's up to each of us to know what that point is. For me, the news helps me like getting information about COVID has been helpful yeah. to me and feeling like I know what's going on in my local community has helped me stay engaged in 
like issues that happen in our community. So I get a lot out of reading the news, but if I start noticing like, oh God, this is giving me anxiety or I'm starting to hold my breath or feel like that kind of like jitteriness in my chest, then I have to put it down. Got it. Yeah. I think it's definitely based on your personality as well. Some people can do better with receiving all that information and others are more sensitive. Yeah. Maybe we don't bombard ourselves, but it is still important to us like as citizens for us to stay engaged. Yeah. This is the last question. This podcast is called Thoughts on Thriving. So what are your thoughts on thriving? What do you think is the key to thriving? Mm, Do you? (laughs) But like what's really you and not what someone else is making you feel you should be like really know what what drives you and what makes you excited and do that (laughs) spend time prioritizing that because we don't always get to spend all our time doing what we love but if we use our own feelings as our compass then we're not usually going to go astray i love that the intuition always knows best exactly Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. I think everyone is going to get so much out of this conversation and I'm so happy that we were able to record and schedule this. Yeah. I, same. Yeah. I would love for you to share where people can find you. If you have like a website, Instagram, I know you post a lot of helpful tools and stuff on Instagram. So please share yeah. that and COA where people can go to find more about that as well. Yeah. So if you're interested in COA classes, you can go to joincoa.com slash classes. Uh, We have a membership. So if you want to become a member, you have access to all those live classes as well as the push-ups and the Q&As. Everything's on there. Um, Join COA also on Instagram. And on Instagram, um, COA and I will often have like shared posts. And so you might see that also on my account, which is just Pallavi Yatur, uh, so first and last name at Pallavi Yatur. That's also my website, pallaviyatur.com. Same on Twitter. So come find me. Follow me. Amazing. Me. Thank you so much, Pallavi. That was such a lovely conversation. And thank you all for listening. I hope you all have a beautiful rest of your day. And I'll talk to you on the next episode. Thank you, Ava. Bye.